So far, so good. Yeah, we just hired a new uh, COO. Life has been really good lately because she's taking on all the stuff that I hate doing. It's been a long time coming. The tide is turning. We tired of running. We rising up. It's been a long time coming. They pride is hurting. Shake off that burden and that dirt in. and salutations ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of raj nation innovations discover your inner awesome podcast my name is rajiv nathan aka the raj nation i am your show's host i am the founder of raj nation innovation as well as a hip-hop artist and a yoga instructor above all else i am a storyteller I am joined by my co-host, Victoria Cohen, a.k.a. VC Money. Victoria is the voice behind the blog, Almonds and Asana. She is a yoga instructor, a health, wellness, and fitness enthusiast. Above all else, she is an activist. And this is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, startup founders, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we sit down with Joe Parisi. Joe is the founder and CEO of Guard Llama. You may recall that name from seeing them appear and pitch on Shark Tank in the spring of 2017 and receiving a $100,000 investment from Barbara Corcoran. We're here today to talk with Joe about something that he's constantly working on improving and fighting, and that is distractions. Specifically, we ask the question, how do you block distractions? Now, before we dive into this conversation, I want to give you an invitation to join our tribe by going to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of the show, getting an email every Monday when our new episodes drop, and therefore staying up to date with all of the awesome. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Joe Parisi from Guard Llama. How do you block distractions? Let's listen in. Well, I think I think the reason it's one of those things that's I think on every entrepreneur's mind all the time, and the reason for that is because uh, I mean there's literally millions of things you can do on any given day. There's only so much time in the day, and there's only so much it's like there's only so many cash and time resources that you have available, right? And so um, I feel like the biggest struggle in any startup is just knowing what to work on, when to work on it, why that's the most important thing to work on and really be focused on, uh, you know, I guess like the big rocks or the big boulders or whatever you want to call it, like the things that really move the business forward. Because, um, you know, I deal with this a lot with entry level employees and stuff too, is, uh, especially in a startup, we don't really have time or I personally don't have time to hold everyone's hand to like manage them that closely to really like keep everyone on task all the time. So everyone has to get really good at might at managing their own time. And so what I see a lot with even, even not entry level employees, even people who are well seasoned who come from a normal corporate environment is like, they really have this struggle with, um, lack of focus basically with, you know, diving into email first thing in the morning and they've answered 30 emails. And then by noon, they start to get responses to those. And then they start to respond to those. And by the end of the day, they've successfully done nothing to really move the business forward, but they've had a lot of conversations, you know? And so, um, I guess, uh, avoiding distraction and efficiency overall is just something that on a day-to-day basis, I'm always trying to improve. 
uh, on a day-to-day basis. I'm always looking for ways to get my team to be more efficient. Uh, always trying to figure out what what are the most important things for us. You know, like um, in a pre-revenue company, which is not where we're at now, but uh, when we were pre-revenue, the most important thing that I was always asking myself is what do I need to do today to get a dollar, to just make one single dollar? And that's that was just my only focus every single moment of every day is if I had a gun to my head and I had to produce one dollar tomorrow, what is like the one thing I had to do today that could get me there? And so um, I feel like, you know, that type of maniacal focus of, uh, on that exact endpoint uh, is what will lead you there. But uh, again, there's a million different ways you can slice the pie and a million different ways you can go at it. And so, I mean, literally millions, you know, when you actually break down all the different variables and all the different potential target markets and all the different channels and all the different, um, you know, all the, all those different things, when you actually combine all those in different ways, you have millions of different combinations. And that's the difference between a startup and a normal corporation is when you walk into a normal corporation, uh, they say, hey, this is how we do business, right? This, this is the way that we make money. This is how things are sold. Here's the process. Here's the book. Memorize it and now start to produce. And with a startup, all those, every single thing that would be handed to you in a normal corporation is a big question mark. And you're trying to get those questions answered. Um, and so, you know, I guess that it's one of those things that I feel like you never really master, that you're always trying to improve on. You know, some really seasoned CEOs and entrepreneurs have like their strategies, but even those guys are always tweaking uh, their systems and, and tweaking their the way that they stay efficient because, um, well, you know, it, it falls back to like habit formation, right? You just are like the culmination of the habits that you regularly do. And so sometimes these efficiency things are actually really difficult to do. And so it requires you to step back regularly and be like, oh, man. Uh, I, I did just get swallowed by email for three days. Why did that happen? And how can I avoid that? And so I guess that's the reason that, uh, you know, uh, efficiency and focus is, is kind of always top of my mind. I really like where you, where you, you're, you're taking this here to start off, um, in the sense that, you know, talking about like systems and, and creating things that enable productivity instead of hinder productivity, uh, as well as cut out the distractions. And, uh, you know, for the last couple of years, I do my best to put a system in place of, well, I, I'll tell you, for one thing, I, I about a year and a half ago, I re- or maybe maybe longer than that, I removed all notifications from my phone, except for mm-hmm. like, you know, like when like an Uber or Lyft arrives, I need to know when the driver's there, <laughs> <laughs> or like when like the pizza's getting delivered, like that kind of stuff. Right. The really important yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the really important Yeah, thing. like that Domino's order tracker. Right? <laughs> Has but, that thing left the oven yet? That's what I need to know. <laughs> So, but, but like text messages, emails, uh, those would be the two core ones, right? Uh, Facebook, notif- yep. any, any social media, like I don't get any notifications on my phone. So it has to be like, I look at my phone to see if there's something there, which has helped mm-hmm. a good amount. You know, it gives me less, it's not a hundred percent, but it gives me less of the like, oh, is my, like, I have to look at my phone cause, cause the thing, right. cause the screen lit up. Right. Yep. Uh, and then I've even told, I was just reading an article recently around how, even just having the phone on your desk mm-hmm. is uh, it hinders productivity. I've heard that mm-hmm. about um, like even just having it in the same room. Like you That's can't probably phone, you true can't as well. focus. Yeah. So and it's like if it's in your bag, you have a better chance than if it's mm-hmm. on your desk. And I guess if it's in the other room, right? And you got a better yep. chance than bag. But then I also wonder 
But then does your brain start to freak out because you're like attached to your phone and it's not in the same room? Um, <laughs> well, that's why I put it in the airplane mode usually. Like a lot of times, I actually uh, I do a lot of. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Pomodoro technique, where you work no. in like 25 minute blocks. So basically, I've got like a timer in my browser that uh, I activate, and then it starts to count down 25 minutes. And before I go into that, I map out uh, something I need to do that will take 25 minutes, at least at least one full 25-minute block. Now, it might be, might be multiple 25-minute uh, blocks if it's a bigger project, but the goal is to break down that big project into one 25-minute task. And I work uh, – the moment I do that, I put my phone on airplane mode. I have uh, – and I, in the past, I had this thing on my browser that would actually block me from going to Facebook or anything else like that, any type of distracting yeah. site. And then I would just lock in for 25 minutes. And then at the end, a buzzer rings and you get a five to 10 minute up. You walk around, you grab a coffee, whatever you want to do. And then once those five to 10 minutes are up, you sit back down and then you click into another Pomodoro. And you do these like 25 minute sprints basically throughout the day. And, um, you know, ideally, actually what I've been having my whole team do is I got them these productivity journals where the, the, before they leave the office, they all have to write down the three most important things that are going to accomplish the next day. And then they have to estimate how many of these 25-minute blocks it will take to complete each of those tasks. And then when they come in, that's the first thing they focus on. Uh, and so – and that's before you open your email, before you answer your phone, before you do any of that, is you've got like that one major item that's got to get knocked out to move the business forward. And not just keep us running in in place. Yeah. Um, and I found that I found that that's you know really good. So I always you know phones in airplane mode, and then the moment you turn airplane mode on, like your brain can shut off of of the phone, right? Because I'm sure you guys have seen the studies around like the neuroactivity that takes place the moment your phone buzzes, and the yeah. moment you're expecting a call or whatever, you automatically start to anticipate, and you literally start to get these like dopamine rushes. Yeah. And so um, you know the biggest thing is like. You also see, I don't know if you guys have seen the studies around like how you only have so much decision-making power in a day, right? And it's like, it's a finite resource. And that's why people like Zuckerberg and Jobs and Obama, they all wear the same exact outfit every day because it's one less decision they need to make. And so um, when you when you start to factor in things like that, the phone starts to really dwindle down all the that decision-making ability that you have every time it's like triggers and every time you have to decide to do something in there. And um you know, a lot of people too, like I tell my team, if they're on their 10 minute break, do not cruise Facebook. Like, because if you look at the neuroactivity while people are cruising Facebook is your brain is lighting up. I mean, it is draining you of energy and of focus. So when you get done with your break, what you think, what, what you are thinking was relaxing was actually overstimulating. And so now your brain didn't actually relax. And now when you come back to your next sprint at work, you are going to be that much less efficient. So it's really about the moment you end that work sprint, you don't open up Instagram, you don't open up Facebook because those hyper-stimulate your brain. And that's what they were made to do. You actually literally, just like your grandparents would have done, you get up, you walk around, <laughs> maybe you, you know, whatever it is, like you just- Watch the cows come out. home. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? You stare out the window, I think is what they did or something. <laughs> you know, but you literally, but that actually allows your brain to rest so that when you return, you can actually, you actually have- full mental capacity, you know, as opposed to just like thinking you were resting, really you were draining your brain even more and then you come back and you're less efficient than you were before. Well, and I think it's so hard too nowadays where, like you were saying, okay, if you're going to do all of these 25 minute 
chunks at the beginning of your day and that's something you want your employees to accomplish before they move on to checking their email. But uh, at least in my experience in in the working world, and um, it's that everyone feels like everything is a rushed task and everyone that emails you wants an answer right away and wants it done in the next <laughs> yeah. hour. And so I think it becomes super hard to prioritize you know, those things that yesterday were the important things to move forward today. And then all of a sudden other things come up and, and mm -hmm. those become the priority. But I, but it sounds like what you're saying is maybe those things are actually distractions from the core, mm -hmm. the core, you know, um, the core outputs that you want to get done for that day. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, any like an email, emails just create fire drills that are like completely unnecessary. Totally. And the reality is like, I don't care if you want to hear from me within 24 hours, you're not going to end of story. So it doesn't matter because would you rather have me working? I mean, you know, like there's certain, there's certain people that I'm looking out for, right? Like if I get an email from an investor or something, I'm going to address that quicker. But like anyone who isn't, you know, my investors are my bosses basically. Right. So they get ideally an immediate response or immediate attention. But like anyone who's not in that elite group is just not going to hear from me and they will hear from me when I get to it. And that's it. And like, I tell everyone on my team, that's the same way. Like you're not, you're not a slave to these, like to these random people, even to the customers, you know, like I get it. A customer wants, they want a response in 24 hours, but too bad. Like, I don't really care. And if you don't like it, go to a, do, go do business with someone else. But like, I'm not going to just be a slave to responding to you. You know, right. it's just, it's not healthy. And realistically though, like the business needs that because if you're constantly, uh, you know, customer service is a perfect example, right? I get, uh, 30 customer support tickets today saying, how do I set up, uh, my app, whatever. Right. And now as a customer support person, I could sit there and answer all fucking 30 of those in 24 hours. And then I get 30 more tomorrow or I don't answer everybody, anyone. I make a video on how to do it. Instead, I send that video to all 30 and then I never get that answer to that question again. And if I do, I just am blasting out this link instead of typing up this response. Right. So something like that, it's like, look, I know all, th all 30 of you wanted to hear from me in 24 hours. You didn't. But instead, I put something in place that made my life better, everyone's life better, the company more efficient, a process that works. And now we have this growing repository of customer support videos that we can send out. And now I can hire a virtual assistant in the Philippines who at night scans through all of the customer support tickets and any of the canned responses that we already have videos to, she sends. So now my employees come in in the morning and they're only getting, they're only answering the support tickets for the questions that they haven't built videos or, or canned responses for, right? But the difference is the focus on process as opposed to just this reactionary knee jerk, like you need a response, so I'm going to do it. Totally. You know, and, and that type of stuff happens throughout the whole organization. You know, a customer support is just an easy example, but the same thing happens with sales, the same thing happens with uh, operations, with tech, whatever, right? Uh, a customer calls in and they need some new functionality or whatever it is, and now the tech team jumps and they start building. And they've scrapped the last project that they were on, so now you've got one project at 80%, now you've got another one that's, 25% done. And now every time someone writes in, we jump and we start, we start building new functionality or you just say, look, that's going to wait, you know, and that goes back to focus, right? It's more about what you decide you're not going to put attention towards than anything else. And, and really this is, I, I like this idea is because it's something I've been gnawing on recently as well is like, how do you basically 
take the inquiries that you get that are similar and basically create like one way to address all of it. And I mentioned this on the episode. We did a recent episode with a woman named Samira Farr and she, she had a really interesting take on, on time. So the topic for that episode was what is your relationship with time? And she talked about it in terms of like, think about it as dating. And if we're dating time, we're, we're all in a hostile, abusive relationship with time because we let it boss us around, you know? Yeah. Instead, we need to think of it as like a partner and like, what can my, what can I contribute and what can time contribute to me in a partnership? And one, one of the things I brought up on that episode was like, recently, I've been getting a ton of requests from people about like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. What advice do you have? Mm-hmm. Which is such a broad question, you know? And yep. yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I don't know, either buy like, some equipment. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's either like, via email, like asking like a general advice question or like they want to get coffee and chat about it or whatever. And like, you know, I'm not going to have a business if I spend all my day doing coffee chats about starting a podcast. Right. So then when I started, but it's important to give back too, right? Of course. A lot of of people have given to me. So I feel like compelled to, I want to give back, but at the same time, right? Like you can't sacrifice your company just because all these people have, have the same question or want help. Right. And then all, so did they really like run out of resources? Are they really at that point where the only way they can move forward is by getting advice <laughs> from you or is, or did they like, you know, th- that's something that I look for too. When someone reaches out for help, like, have you looked through Google? Is this something that you could easily have Googled and gotten an answer to? Is this something that you could have quickly like solved for yourself or are you just reaching out because like you've just cause you, for lack of a better idea yeah. or because you just like wanted to waste my time, you know, well, that happens a lot too. And and the things that I'll, I'll I'll look at. So like in that instance, now what I started to do the other day was I'm I'm drafting just like this mega blog post of like everything I know about starting a podcast is the name of it. Yep. And like that's going to be the thing. I'll just put it on Medium, and then yep. you can refer yourself to that or anyone who emails me. I'll just send them that link. And yep. then if they have any other questions besides that, it's like okay, you know, send me an email and I'm happy to answer. But I'm yeah. And then you add that to the post, it. right? Exactly. And. The other thing I'll do, so that's what I'm working on right now is drafting that post. But also, a lot of times what I'll do with some of these inquiries, not to be mean, but more so to just like better manage my time is if they email me once and I don't have the time to address it right away and I remember at some point, hey, maybe I should get back to that. But do I really want to be doing that right now? Yes or no? Yep. I won't give it a real consideration unless they've gotten back to me a second time or maybe a third time because then like it's actually important <laughs> yeah. to them, right? Because there's a lot of people who yeah, it's like it's on their mind in that moment, so they think, oh, why right. did I reach out to that person who I know knows this stuff? But if yep. but if they're not going to be serious about the information they get, then there's uh-huh. no point in you or me wasting our time. Yeah. So you'll start to see how serious is someone by do they follow yeah. up with you? Totally. That's a good point, and actually, like. Um, I use, uh, I normally use a service called like boomerang or follow up then personally so that I mark, uh, each, any email I send out that I need a response to, I mark how many days later, if I haven't received a response that I need to follow up. And so that's why people that I'm on will get, you know, three, four, five follow up emails because I understand they're busy too, but I've never, that's actually funny. Cause I've never like, uh, I've never thought about screening for attempts, attempts to reach out. Right. I've had people where they just bug me enough where finally I respond, Yeah, you know, but, um, <laughs> but that's a good point, right? They just send you this one email. And, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people like 
I'll have people reach out and just be like, Hey, I'm just trying to connect with people from NIU. Do you have time for coffee? And it's like, not really, you know, <laughs> it's just like, that's very vague. I don't really know what you want it. Like you just want to like say that we got together or something. I just don't know what you're trying to obtain here, you yeah. know? And that sounds like really, uh, it sounds really shitty and condescending everything else, like I'm important or something, but it's just like, you know, if, if you take a meeting with every person who wants one just because they want to meet, like that doesn't, like you're doing a disservice to the people that you could have truly helped, right? Because you only have so much time in the day. And if you could have put that time towards somebody who was like really building a business, who really had questions, who really could have benefited from your advice, then those people got screwed because you had to spend time with this other person who really didn't even have anything to talk about, you know? And so... I don't know. That's, that's how I look at that is like, if you're just doing cold random outreach to people to like broaden your network, then I don't know, you're screwing everybody else and that's not fair. Well, and I, and I think there's some merit on, or naivete on, on that part. Usually, um, it's not like they're doing it, you know, with hostile intentions. It's, it's, I'd say it's no, more, of course. They just more being the value of it. And, you know? but I would say even like you're at the point, just like, I think I'm at the point where, I've given enough like free time and like general coffee chats in my history and I no longer <laughs> can't afford to do that. But it's not like yeah. for my entire lifetime was I always telling no to every single person. It's just no, that of like, course. it's almost like, cause you said yes a handful of times. It helped you get to where you were and figure out how can you manage your time. And then yeah. now you're at a point where it's like, sorry, just cause you've asked, I can't. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to know more about this Pomodoro method because literally right also, before... Also, doesn't Pomodoro mean tomato in Italian? <laughs> it does. Yeah, that's exactly where it came from, actually. Well, okay, I want to know more... The founder of it was like an Italian guy who... I forget the connection, but something about his love of tomatoes or some shit. Oh. Or maybe... I think he actually like sliced a tomato ah, in certain okay. ways. I don't know what it was, but that's literally... That's actually the exact translation and the, and the correlation. And so... So the idea is just that you are spending 25 minutes with like really specialized attention and yep. that's sort of like the, the critical amount of time that you need to whatever, accomplish a task or a part of a task. And then you're giving yourself what, a five, yep. 10 minute break after. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And you just walk around, you zone out, you do nothing. Got it. But and the how... idea is that you, you know, you, you decide tomorrow, like if, you know, it's easy when you're when you're pre-revenue in a company, right? You decide tomorrow what is going, what is gives me the highest chance of making money tomorrow, you know. Or even if you're if you're post-revenue, it's like what is the highest chance of growing X percent tomorrow, you know? That's what everyone's mind should be on. And if it's not doing that, then don't do it because what what's the point? And how right? if you can't say that this grew the company X or this activity will do X to the revenue, then why even bother? I just yeah. don't understand why you would put time into it. And like how, how much of your day do you schedule like this? Uh, ideally all of it. But, uh, you know, again, that goes back to like, that's the ideal. And, you know, I'm not really that perfect with it. It's yeah. just like, idea, you know, uh, like last night I had a business dinner. So I screwed up in terms of being able to block out today. So, um, so that kind of screws it up, right? But still, the moment I get into the office, then I'm going to figure out, okay, these are the things that I really need. This, these are the things that like the team really needs me to accomplish, right? It's normally around fundraising or talent acquisition or, uh, I mean, for me personally, like I normally do a lot of the growth hacking stuff too, trying to figure out new verticals, new uh, channels, things like that. But, um, you know, you really look at the team as a whole and figure out what are they relying on me to accomplish that they can't really accomplish as well as I could. 
and then you block your, and then, you know, uh, depending on what it is, you say, okay, I'm going to, uh, I don't know, let's say uh, like currently this is, this would be an example for my business is we need to find another vertical because, um, we're, we found, we identified a great beachhead market, the, all the metrics work, uh, on a, on a unit, like the unit economics of this sales strategy are phenomenal. But now we need to display that there is multiple vertical applicability. And so something that I need to do for my team is identify a new vertical, identify, identify channel, and then build a repeatable, scalable process around selling through to that. Um, and so what I'm going to be doing is I, I think the lowest hanging fruit in terms of target market is going to be these self-defense schools. And so uh tonight i'm gonna have my virtual assistant mine google and get me every self-defense school phone number address and name in a spreadsheet for tomorrow and then tomorrow i'm gonna block out three to four of these pomodoro blocks specifically to cold calling these and trying to set up meetings and moving them through like a, a b2b pipeline right so tomorrow three to four 25 minute segments I'm going to dedicate to that specific thing because that's moving that big task forward that has to get done. And if you look at that whole item of identify vertical, create repeatable, scalable process, understand channel, blah, blah, blah. That's a huge task. But like, what's the first step? What do I need to do tomorrow? I need to, I need tomorrow. I need to have a list of who I'm going to call and who those targets are. And then I can start cold calling them or I can start dropping into their offices or I can start whatever. But then that then I've moved the ball forward on that. Right. And let's say I get a hold of 10 of them tomorrow out of this like hundred, hundred person potential target list. Now the next day, um, I'll block out X amount of these Pomodoros to like actually go meet them and physically sell them on this system and figure out how I can get into their self-defense classes and actually pitch to their class when they're done training them on physical self-defense. Right. And then, you know, so you take a big task and you just say, what is something that can be done in 25 minutes and how do I break this up into a manageable chunks? Cause otherwise you'll just be like paralyzed by the fact that it's this daunting, huge thing. I got to give oh. a quick sidebar here that, and that in hearing you explain that last part, mm -hmm. I love that you are a founder who is willing to actually go and find the customers in person and not do everything possible to never learn anything to, to stay as far away from the customers at all times. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's like the, I, I guess I see that as kind of like the one skill set that I have that I can contribute, I guess. It's <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't really understand um, how, how you can, how you can do it without doing that. You know, you have to, like, the, that's all business is, is providing value to a set of customers. And how do you do that without selling them on it? You know, right. I mean, you get these, like, you get these modern day click funnel things and like, uh, ideally, yeah, you've got this beautiful click funnel that converts, uh, X amount of cold traffic and you can get, you know, uh, X, like the, the paper click is reasonable enough that the, and the conversion rates high enough that that works out perfectly. But in a lot of models, it's just like, I think that that's kind of the exception, not the rule. You know, I feel like a lot of people go into business thinking they're just going to build this great landing page and they're going to set up all these great Google ads and these awesome Facebook ads. And then people are just going to funnel in and they'll just convert. And if they don't, then your only option is to go out and find people and sell them in person, you know, and that's it. So I see a lot of companies fail just because they would rather just like not do that. And I'm not willing to fail like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it blows my mind that that's the reason why I brought it up because there's just a lot of companies and teams I see out there who are just like, wait, there's there's so much we can use technology for to just keep staying behind the screen, keep staying <laughs> behind the screen. Like obviously, like you know, to achieve scale, you ultimately have to do that, but you also aren't going to ever learn anything about what your customers yeah. actually want if you don't ever actually talk to them. Right. Well, at the same time, like Groupon has a sales team, fucking yeah. uh, Grubhub <laughs> has a sales team, like. All these big ass publicly traded companies have massive sales teams within their organization. Yeah. And like, yeah, it would be awesome if I could just generate all my revenue by setting up uh, digital ads and then just watching people roll in and buy. But the reality is like, I think throughout the history of business, like the sales team moves the business. Yeah. And that's because I think that's where real scale is. I mean, yeah, because we all know that there's this certain, um, there's a certain uh, diminishing returns that are related to digital ads. Like at the end of the day, Facebook only has so many people that you can identify under these conditions and it costs X amount of click. And once you spend X amount, then that's done and that's it, you know? And yeah, you can come up with more creative ways and whatever, whatever, but like, you know, AdWords and Facebook and all these digital channels, they're good to get you your first X amount of tens of thousands of users, maybe even your first hundred. But after that, the amount that you have to pay per click and everything is just, it doesn't really work. You know, you have to go sell. Like, you know, big big ass companies still run ads and they still do whatever, but they've got multi-million dollar ad budgets and they don't really care if the, uh, if the unit economics are not like totally in their favor. You know, like uh, ADT is, uh, is a security company and they have a CAC of $1,200 a user, $1,200. And like, that's okay with them because, you know, they have enough, They've been around long enough and they have enough cash that they can they can wait for like a three or four year break even. But most startups can't, you know. <laughs> so um, I, I've, know, never so heard, paying, I've never heard I've never heard cost to acquire customer, right? I've never heard that CAC is as like the uh, acronym for that. Like like said. Oh out really? Loud never heard that? So, no, yeah, I've never heard that. LTV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. It's it almost is like like yeah, they got a CAC of twelve hundred. It's like it's like a gaggle of geese. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so coming back to the, the the Pomodoro technique and kind of unpacking that a little bit more, um, what I like about that and what you mentioned towards the beginning was like if you're kind of always putting out fires, then you know what the hell are you doing? And that's very timely because literally yesterday on LinkedIn, someone posted this article about how like why all the creatives are leaving like ad agencies because their lives are hell basically and they're being treated like shit. And what I, you know, and he was like, does anyone have any thoughts on like how to bring back the good talent to creative agent or to bring bring back the good creative talent? And I was like, well, one of the things that is prevalent at every single agency is that not just agencies, but you know, many companies is that many, many companies where you're providing a service to someone else, like to a client at the end of the day, is every inquiry is treated as urgent and, oh, I have to put out this fire. But if everything is a fire, why would you want to work somewhere that's always up in flames? Yeah. And I don't know, Victoria, yeah. you, worked yeah. at, you worked at Pepsi. I no, it's, like it's actually so interesting the way that you said it, not like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, an epiphany, but kind of like I, so I worked for Pepsi for five years, um, just a little background for you, Joe, and I worked in, so I have a, a master's in engineering, I worked in supply chain for four years, and then my last year there, I worked in shopper marketing, so like very different parts of the business, but I always worked in um, really small um, sort of startup parts of PepsiCo. 
Mexico. So um, our coconut water business when we started that up, um, and then uh, sort of like a new um, a new organization that Shopper fell in um, towards towards the end of my time there. But it was I I think that that's kind of what I burned out on. Like I ended up leaving supply chain because I was like I don't feel like I'm solving any new problems and it's getting boring. But I was stressed mm-hmm. and running around like <laughs> yeah. crazy. And you get home and you're totally fucking drained. I'm but you drained. Didn't really do and then you still anything. need to answer emails no, when you exactly. get home. <laughs> and then I felt the same the same way in my urine shopper. It was like it was this brand new organization. We were way understaffed. You know all, all that crazy stuff that everyone experiences. And it was like sure. I I, I did learn how to do a bunch of new things. And I probably did a couple of things that were helpful, but like I worked a lot of hours and I was super stressed and I was, again, running around like crazy, answering emails, you know, getting things done in, you know, ridiculous amounts of time and like for what really? And so I I think that I've just never thought about it in the way that we're sort of discussing right now that ultimately, because I've had a hard time sort of explaining that, like, why did I leave? And I, you know, it's not like, oh, I didn't like it or the, you know, it wasn't interesting, but I don't feel like I was necessarily accomplishing a whole lot, but I was, but I was so busy all the time, like to a point that was yeah. silly, you yeah. know, that's just how the today, you know, I, I've got a, a good friend of mine who's like 75 years old and he's the founder of the Aerobed, which Whoa. is, you know, the original wow. yeah. yeah. and, um, him and I hang out like when he lives in New York, but I, every time I go to New York, him and I hang out and I was telling him, you know, there was almost this like awesomeness about his era of business, right? Like if you went on a business trip, you weren't expected to communicate or do anything mm-hmm. till you were like in your hotel room, <laughs> could pick up the phone, call back to headquarters and be like, hey, I landed, I'm in the room, Yeah. right? And then if you left, that was it. There was no cell phone, there was no whatever. But like, you know, there's just this thing of like, you're only going to hear from me so much because that's really the only time you could possibly hear from me. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a bunch of different, I've actually like, uh, you know, I, I, there's always this, like this fluctuation happening with founders and, and executives and stuff where they're basically, they start trading their health for, for more output in the business yes. and, and their health starts to really diminish. And then they realize, shit, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kill myself here. Not literally, but you know, I'm going to die. And so I've got to focus on my health. So I'm going to start eating salads again and do this, this, and this. But you look at, um, you know, adrenal fatigue is like a very real thing. And that like, that's something that I, that I've actually suffered from where my adrenals, which are the things that make adrenaline were totally shot about a year ago to the point where like the doctor told me if like a tiger was chasing me, my body would have no fight or flight response. Oh, God. Whoa. Like you would know to run. <laughs> well, that's like where you'd need guard llama then. You'd be paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. but my palms wouldn't sweat. I wouldn't like actually kick into. And what? And the reason is that is because like if you start to train yourself to jump every time something comes in, literally every time an email dings, your adrenal gland pumps out a bunch of adrenaline. And event- eventually it just like stops. It says like I'm not doing that anymore. You know, and from a health perspective, you eventually end up getting to this point where you almost have to just say, like, this is going to happen when I'm able to make it happen because your body will literally burn out. Like, you can't just, you know, because to your point, I'm sure when you were working at Pepsi, you had those days. Was it Pepsi, right? Yeah. Where you, where you had those days where you would get home and feel like someone had, like, you just ran a marathon or something. Yep. And, like, you didn't do anything. 
yeah. know, that whole feeling of like when you get home and you're like, oh, like it's just like you fuck, like you, you feel like a weight on your chest. Oh, yeah. Like, like I would step out the is. door and like take a deep, like I, for the first, you know, I wouldn't have like left all day to step outside. I'd step outside and take a deep breath. I was like, this is like the first breath I've taken <laughs> today. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but I, but I ultimately didn't feel like, again, sure, I learned things along the way. Of course I did. And, 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 and I, and I'm sure I contributed something over time. <laughs> but, but it, I, I think that was kind of, kind of how I felt leaving. Yeah. It's sort of like, I watch out, like, I watch out for my, te- like, I, I watch out for my team on that a lot, you know, cause a lot of them haven't experienced that type of stress before, mm-hmm. or, you know, gone, I've already gone through a full cycle of that mm-hmm. where I right. destroyed my health and brought it back up and everything else. But when I watch them and I see them stressing over this, this, and this, I'm like, look, if this customer doesn't hear from you today, that's okay. Know that, that they don't have to hear from you, that you don't have to get back to this because really like, what does it matter if they hear from you tomorrow or today? Is, is it really, are they going to cancel? I mean, I guess they might, but like, I don't want that customer anyway. Forget them. You know, we're like the company will be just fine if they hear from you in two days or if they hear from you in one or whatever. I get everyone that has this like on demand mentality, but like, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to set up my life to jump every time some random person who I have no connection with asked me to. It's just unhealthy. You're going to burn out and um, it's just not good. Let's pause for a hot minute for this quick PSA. Are you part of the startup community? If so, keep listening. If not, go ahead and hit the skip ahead button because this is not going to apply to you. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is a property of Raj Nation Innovation. What is Raj Nation Innovation? Well, it's simple. I talk to founders and startup teams every day who flat out tell me, hey, we suck at telling our story. I help remove the suck. Combining a unique background of both branding expertise as well as songwriting expertise from my experience as a hip-hop artist, I take a performance lens and mindset to the world of business communication. Using this approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their story, their go-to-market message, and their pitch so they can raise venture capital and acquire their early customers. Think of me like the Will Smith character Hitch, but for startups. And yes, I will tell you when you're dancing like an idiot. Does this sound like a conversation we should have? If so, head to www.rajnationinnovation.com. That's R-A-J Nation Innovation.com. Send me a message through there and let's chat. Back now to the podcast. Well, and I think too, and I remember, so I used to work at an ad agency myself and that, that, that feeling Victoria you're speaking to is like, the way I can, I remember feeling it, it was like, an elephant just slowly putting his foot down on your chest, you know, and because yeah. you can kind of like feel like getting like a little bit of shortness of breath when you feel the tasks yeah. piling on. But, but then yeah. I remember one of the things I remember doing was, you know, in that like you have coworkers being like, "Hey, you need to get me this thing or whatever." And again, everything is treated with urgency, so everyone is kind of on high alert. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then I got to a point where I was like. You know, I just didn't address it. And like, you know, I was working in sales, so I would just like turn, you know, literally close out email and make, make prospecting mm-hmm. calls. Cause that's the only way you can actually get that stuff done. Right. And then I'd open back up the email after a couple hours and I have people being like, you know, where is this thing? Whatever. It, there were, there were instances where it would be, I, there was like a, a chain of like 20 emails that I'm CC'd on. And then, like, without my help, they finally figured out the answer on their own, like, without mm-hmm. me. That was one. Oh, yeah. You know, that, I, I was like, that. okay, great. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one, like, yeah. string of events. And then there was another where, like, I'd have people be like, like, I, like, why didn't you respond? I needed this thing. And I'm like, did you call me? Uh-huh. No. I emailed. Well, if it was that urgent, why didn't yep. you call? 
And that's an, that's, an, well, that's another interesting technique, I think, is like, if it truly is urgent, is someone yep. willing to pick up the phone and call? If not, right. maybe it's not that urgent to them. 100%. Actually, I tell my team all the time, if you wouldn't call me about it, don't email me about it. Huh. Right? Like, I don't need to be CC'd on everything. I actually don't really care. You know, and I think, uh, I think a big thing for management that I do for my team is like constantly reassessing priorities and reassessing the order in which things need to get done so that my team is always feeling like they're moving the biggest things forward. And, you know, so I'll be like, Mark, what are the top, what's the top three things that you're trying to knock out today? And he'll be like this, this, and this. And I'm like, all right, well, item two actually isn't that important. So don't even worry about it. Get rid of it completely. Focus on one, and if you can get that done today, it's a win, right? Yeah. And then, you know, and then you're just constantly weeding out these things that, like, appear to be important that just really are not important. You know, again, like, if it doesn't make you money, if it doesn't directly lead to revenue, that's something you can pretty much always eliminate. Yeah. You know, if it doesn't affect, I mean, I've been pretty loose with my, like, with, like, I guess running my company against KPIs or okras or whatever they call it. Um, but you know, okras. Yeah. Isn't that what it is? It's like, I mean, I know uh, KPI, yeah, but, yeah, okras? Same, but I don't know. Okras. <laughs> yeah. There's some other name for like, uh, I don't know. You are full of interesting acronyms. Today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got CACs, you know, okras. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you can, you can break your whole business down into a set of KPIs. Right. Yeah. And then, and then literally if every task has to be measured up against that, does this move, does this, in, uh, increase retention? Does this increase revenue this week? Does this do, you know, does this improve one of these KPIs? And if you can't link it directly to that, you have to throw that task out completely. And that's where like, you know, we keep going back to email, but that's a perfect example of like 90% of the shit that's in there is just not going to relate to improving a KPI. And so don't, I just, then why, I mean, if you can put every ounce, like the best feeling in the world is when the whole company and every employee in your in your entire organization is like focused on this like single endpoint, this 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 like microscopic point that everyone's saying we're trying to get here, you know. And um, a lot of times companies will rally their teams around uh, a certain revenue goal or an annual revenue goal or you know whatever it is. But you have everyone focused on knowing that the most important thing to the business, like right now, the most important thing for my business is breaking one million dollar run rate, annual run rate. That's all we talk about. That's all we focus on. That's all we think about. And if you're doing something that doesn't get us to $1 million run rate, I don't know why you're doing it because nothing else matters. Right. And I think, uh, setting that cadence and setting that, and then this way too, your employees feel like they have a certain set of confidence and happiness around. They know they're never going to be approached with, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do this? Cause they can just point and say that wouldn't have led to us reading, meeting the million dollar run rate. It wouldn't have applied. Mm-hmm. And they can, they can always just make that comparison on their own. And they're never trying to figure out is what, what of these fires do I have to put out? And what about this? What about that? No, you told me the most important thing on earth is $1 million run rate. End of story. I didn't do this because it wouldn't have contributed to that. Perfect. That's great. Thank you for making my job easier because I would wonder why you wasted your time doing that since it didn't get us to that. End point. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's where I love the, uh, you know, through my association being an advisor at Bunker Labs, the goal setting method I picked up from the team there, which ever since I started sure using profound. that, yeah, you know, it's, it's basically they call it the big three, which is beginning of the week their te- their te- their bunker internal team meets, and they each come to the table with what is their big three goals for the week. Now the yep. key here is that the big three are the results you're working towards, not the tasks you are doing. Yeah. So. An example, so like what I've taken that to be for my own business now is like a lot of times in a week, 
my one of my goals is to get three new meetings for the following week, right? That's a result. Mm-hmm. Underneath that, I can write many tasks. It's like, okay, so what do I need to do to get three meetings? Okay, well, I've got to send 50 emails out, right? And it's like, yep. but, but my week isn't done until I've gotten those three meetings. So 50 is an arbitrary number. If I send 10 and get three meetings, I'm done. Like, or yep. like, like that goal is accomplished. But, and that takes you, that's taken me, and that's why I've loved it, is like, instead of thinking in task mode about like, what, you know, this thing, this thing, that needs to go. She's like, no, like, what are the three things I'm working towards? And once those three things have been accomplished, I can know I've had a good, a, I can feel good about my week. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it, right? I mean, but that's where, that's where a lot of people, that's tricky for the sales team, right? Is like, um, you know, okay, if you booked five meetings in five minutes, should you stop or should you just shatter that previous goal? That's where you end up, uh, you can get caught sometimes, right? Where it's like, sometimes I know my sales team sometimes uh, has, sets the goal for how many denials they're going to hear today. <laughs> so that if they start, hit, if they start hitting a, a rush where it's like, you know, win, 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 they keep the rally going. Yeah. And That's a good idea. Them, I like that. You know? Yeah, well, it's it's different in my scenario because I'm solo, right? Versus having like, you know, team metrics and everything like that. But I would say even in the in the team sense, like in the sales team, it's, if you get, say, you know, let's say by chance you get like five out of your first five or whatever, everything uh-huh. after that is overflow. And you don't have to worry about like, because you could have, oh, I made 100 outreaches this week. But if they were shitty outreaches, what does it matter? Like if you didn't yeah. do anything to apply, like if your 80th outreach is the exact same thing as your 20th and you didn't do anything to iterate upon if one through 79 got you nowhere, then what does it matter if you do 21 more? That's true. Oh, I figured out that acronym. It's OKR. That's what I was uh-huh. trying to say. And, okay. and what does that stand exactly for? The results. That's ah, what I, mean. I got you. There's an, there's, I knew it. I was, <laughs> there's one like, other oh, thing oh, I, I want to get your perspective on around this idea of distractions and time and everything like that. And that is and this is something that's been bugging me for a while now is sort of like the Tim Ferriss model. Um, a lot of these like productivity, quote unquote, experts. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the advice they give, and I, and I mentioned earlier, right? Like I have that like 9 a.m. rule that I try to stick to, like no meetings, mm-hmm. no calls, no emails, messages, whatever before 9 a.m. Um, yep. But if you look at the, the the systems that all these productivity experts put into play, where it's like you know like have these times available, et cetera, whatever. Those are all people. If you really look at it, they are all. If you look at their lives, they are all building and have created lives that don't involve other people, either personally or professionally. Like their business is all online, uh, or they're single and like you know they don't have any interest in like to take anyone else into account. Right? Yeah, and that's what's like that's what's really bugged me about all the quote unquote productivity experts is they don't take into account. Hey, you might want to involve other people in your life, and I'm curious to get your take on this because you have a company where other people are involved, and. Yep. I'll make an assumption, but presumably you like to have a personal life that involves people as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, I don't know. I like, I'll, I'll manage my personal life. Like I'll manage my business at times too. Like I'll tell my wife, if it's not on my calendar, don't expect me to be there. End of story. <laughs> right. Like this way I never deal with that thing. Like, well, I told you about this birthday party three weeks in a row, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's not on my calendar. It's just like, look, at the end of the day, she realizes that my mind is always somewhere else usually, right? And so, but the, the, other, the other side of that is like, you know, when it comes to family and stuff, I have to very, very consciously block out time 
where I'm going to be 100% present with them. End of story. No phone, no whatever. Just like I'm going to be there. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be watching TV. And that's the only way that I can keep uh, a family life together is like I have to like you have to because you can keep working. You can work forever. You can just keep going and going and going and going. So there has to be that moment where you say, like, I'm done now. And now you guys get my time. And that's it. And so, um, you know, I I feel like a lot of those productivity experts might not have other people in there. And that's by design. Right. I mean, they realize that, like, well, anytime you're answering to somebody else in, in a certain way, then that then you're kind of subject to like their fire drill. Right. Yeah, 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 that's true. You know, so you set it up where, I mean, uh, me personally, but then I love that we manage it is they know what the ultimate goal of the company is, and they know that everything they do should be marching to that, towards that end point, and anything else doesn't really matter. And they kind of manage their own time in that regard, right? Like, I might say, hey, I need to meet with you, but when are you available? I'm never like, I I mean, I guess there could be an instance where I'm like, one o'clock tomorrow, I have to see you, right? But that's rare. Yeah. So everyone kind of manages their own time. Um, but then, of course, it's, it's again, I think it's just how you respond to requests and how you respond to other people. You know, like Tim Ferriss, you know, his big thing is always like four-hour work week this and, and cutting people out here. But he's still like is pretty actively involved in all of his stuff, right? I mean, I, don't, I think the four-hour work week thing is a little bit of a stretch in terms of like – uh, in order to put those processes in place, you need a certain level of cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, okay. But, you know, and he even says in his own book, I was working 120 hours a week for X amount of years before I decided to remove myself. Yeah. And the difference is he just hit that burnout point, but he had a machine that was already running. And that, you know, a lot of times you end up with that thing where, like, you can remove yourself, you just didn't realize it yet. Um, and I felt that in my business before where like I randomly take a day off and I still see like the, the Stripe dashboard, the, the credit yeah, card. No one dies. Are lighting up. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, okay. We still made money. Things still happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I think yeah, there, there's definitely, there's merit to it. I just, I, I question like, again, like these are all generally people who it's like, they, they doesn't look like they brought like significant others into their lives who like maybe. <laughs> Yeah. actually do want to talk at like and have breakfast at 9 a.m. And, <laughs> and, right. and like you're like, no, but I only every day eat nuts and berries at 630 in the morning. And, <laughs> and but a I, lot of it, you know, a lot of those gurus I take with a grain of salt anyway because they're always selling. They're selling something. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're all selling this like. And you've got to sell they're selling the, the they're selling a dream yeah. that like people wish they could have. And that's why people buy in. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, the four hour work week. Right. I mean, he tested that title against 100 others yeah. and everyone wanted to know more about how they could work only four hours. And so everything now fits into that box and he's built an entire brand and identity around it and stuff. But I mean, um, I don't know, a lot of that stuff, like when you're when you're dealing with the different gurus, you got to really look at like what are what's their product that they're selling? Because a lot of their shit has to fall in line with that. Yeah, you can't sell eighty percent of the dream. You got to sell one hundred percent of it. <laughs> right, right. And then, and then, of course, like those big uh, things that they're selling give them a shitload of money to remove themselves even more, and then show about how successful these plans are. You know. Let's let's transition here and talk about Guard Llama for a few minutes. So, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to kind of dive more into the Guard Llama story. So, at, at surface level, for those who don't know, Guard Llama is a personal safety device, but Joe, tell our listeners why it's about more than that. Um, well, I, yeah, so I guess the way the product works is you press a button and then it sends your exact location directly to the police so you don't have to dial 911. And so uh, the reason that's important is because 911 can't find you 
unless you say your exact address through the phone, uh, when calling through a cell phone anyway. If you call from a landline, they can find you, but that's rare nowadays. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess why it's about more than that is because, um, I don't know. I mean, we're just, we're really helping people. Like I talk to my customers and I hear their stories and it's like, uh, there's some terrible people out there and there's some really bad shit that has happened to people. And I have a lot of customers who will write in and say, you know, I'm able to get to work today because I carried this because I was confident enough to leave the house, you know, because I knew that like I could get help if I needed it. Cause the last time I needed help, no one showed up and, um, that sucks, you know? So, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a really cool thing. And, and, you know, I take for granted a little bit, like how easy it is to rally my team around that cause, you know, like if you're just like, it's going back to like, if you're just an ad agency, like why really do you wake up? You know, I mean, okay. To make ads for people, to generate revenue for them, to like, I guess you could say like to create something that's never been created, to display a product in a way that's never been done to show the world, make the world feel something about an item, you know, but like, uh, even when I look at other tech companies, if even if you look at like Apple's, you know, just like renowned for having this like huge vision and this like big, under, you know, this like massive uh, undertaking or whatever you want to call it, where they're like tra- transforming the world. And really all that, all they're doing is like making cell phones that are sleek, <laughs> you know, or a computer that's like pretty or like easy to use, you know, and okay, that's cool. And I guess like, if they weren't Apple, it wouldn't be nearly as sexy as it is since they are, right? They're this like massive billion dollar company, which I guess makes it awesome. But like, uh, you know, my team regularly, uh, I can, we can rally everybody around the fact that like, uh, you know, this woman just got out of a showing with uh, a potential, with someone that was trying to sexually assault her and she got out and the police helped her and that changed her life for the better. And that's fucking motivating. You know, that's really cool. So it's not, I don't have to like, I don't know, I don't have to like blow smoke or like do all this like, all this like big bullshit on a stage like you see some of these like Silicon Valley CEOs do about how we're changing the world one <laughs> fucking cell phone at a time, right? No, we actually like, we've helped people and, and we've had them call in and thank us. And um, so, you know, I mean, that's really cool. And from a leadership perspective, it's invaluable. It's like, you know, what better cause could you, could you rally someone behind, you know, everyone on our team has people that they care about and they would never want those people to be in a situation like that. So, um, you know, it's almost, it's just like, it's a, it became a really awesome cause, you know, and I found that it helps me get talent that I normally probably have no business acquiring, you know, people that have worked with me are, you know, twice my age and three times my experience level and all this stuff. And it's just because they look at this product and they look at what we're doing and they're like, man, I just, I want to contribute to this. I think this is making a difference. This is huge. You know, this is big for people who, um, uh, you know, even if you're in a car accident, right? Like now you have to find your phone is somewhere in the, in the car that, that just was an accident and you have to somehow find your phone call and then figure out what mile marker you're at. And like, that's unrealistic too, you know? So something as simple as that, it's like, we can, we can dispatch professionals to you and get you help. So that's that. Did you have a like personal experience that, that, that led to the creation of this? I mean, kind of like uh, when I was at, I went to Northern Illinois and there was a, I mean, when I was a senior, there was just oh, were you there? Wait, sorry. Yeah. Were you there when the, the campus shooting happened? Yeah, that too. But okay. that, I mean, that's a little bit, I mean, campus shootings are weird. Like, 
it's tough because they're so random, you know, it's just like someone walks in and starts shooting. There's really, it's very difficult to prevent something like that. But well, you know, if you look at that, someone had to exit the room or be around there, dial for help and then explain that in Cole Hall at NIU, which is here, there's someone opening fire, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas if like someone would have had this button, they could have hit it and we could have told the, uh, the, um, professional, you know, the, the police that, it's in the southeast wing of this building on this campus at this intersection, you know, which is good. But uh, other than the the campus shooting, there was uh, a freshman student who got murdered my senior year of college. And I wasn't friends with her. I don't act like we were close or anything, but she, uh, they identified her body with her cell phone. And I always just remembered reading that in the paper. And so for some reason I was like, you know, if she had her cell phone, like how come she couldn't get help? Because um, up until, I'd never really like walked through. I, I, you know, fortunately, I haven't had to dial nine one one for anything in my life. I've been very fortunate, um, but I never really walked through like if I had to, what would happen? And then when I read that, I was like, well, how do, how does this work, you know? And then I started diving in, and I realized that she's not alone. I mean, there's a lot of people who end up needing emergency help, and when they dial nine one one, the first thing they're saying is, "Where is your emergency?" And you have to know. And a lot of times, when you're in the middle of an emergency, if you're not at your home chances are you're not going to rattle the address off. You know, it's just the way it is. Or if you're at like the Merchandise Mart, which is a full city block long with three different zip codes, like uh, you could be anywhere, (laughs) you know, 12th floor in the middle somewhere, you know, I mean, or McCormick Place. Actually, if you go to McCormick Place now, all the pillars have numbers on them. And they had to do that because, you know, they would have an issue or some guy would have a heart attack during an expo and then they're calling for help and McCormick Place is literally, what, three city blocks? Yeah. And so now they can say, what pillar are you at at McCormick Place? And the Office of Emergency Management in Chicago knows to ask for that. And they can walk over and say, we're at 28 and then the ambulance can get there. And so, um, I don't know, it's just one of those things, for some reason, the United States never updated the dispatching system after like the 70s. So cell phones have come around, technology as a whole has, has changed, and uh, they just, I guess, never really had the funds or the budget, or they just never made it a priority. But at the end of the day, we have a system that can't find you unless you can tell them where you are. One more question here, and then we'll wrap up. Um, now, I, I have to because it, it's happened, but you guys are on Shark Tank. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, you got the investment from Barbara. Congratulations yep. on that. Uh, I Thanks. think I remember from hearing you when you were on Technori Radio, it actually takes, you know, like, I think it almost took like, what, like a full year to actually receive uh, the investment because of the due diligence process, um, yeah. which I know can be very laborious and frustrating. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Well, especially if you're going through diligence with like four, you know, that's what's nice about like a series A uh, or like a, just a formal price round of venture capital is like you get your lead in, they start doing diligence. Everyone who falls under the lead assumes that they're doing a good job. And once diligence is complete, round closes, here's mm-hmm. the check and, and the exchange happens and the docs are signed. Whereas if you have like all these random investors, like Barbara being one, she's running diligence. Now this venture capital group's mm-hmm. running diligence. Now this, you know, it's just like, it's a pain in the ass, you know, because everyone's running their own system here and they're not connected in any way. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to ask you, what was it like to be on Shark Tank? Because that's, <laughs> that's a dumb question, I think. What I do want to know is what we see on TV versus what's actually happening when you're live in the room. Um, uh-huh. But my understanding from what I've heard other people say is it's generally much longer when you're in there um, versus, oh, yeah. you know, the 15 minutes they cut on TV. But beyond that, like, 
are they capturing drama that isn't there? Are they, uh-huh. um, is it, is the emotion that we see on TV, TV, what it's like in the room? Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, everyone who goes out there pitches, pitches for one to two hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, they cut it down to 15 minutes. I mean, that's just, and Which I mean, some and that's fantastic just, editing, by the way, <laughs> to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's absurd editing because, and then like, you know, is there, yeah, there's some weird drama that goes on. I mean, like the whole thing is weird. You know, I had raised $1.1 million before I walked out there from, I don't know, maybe 30 different investors or whatever. So I've had a lot of these conversations. So I was like pretty confident that this was going to go the way that all the, the other ones went. And I mean, you know, I know the answers to the questions, you know, whatever, whatever. But like the difference is that, you know, when you meet a normal investor, they're normally happy to meet with you and they're like excited to have lunch and they want to know who you are and they want to see if this is a good investment for them. And they're just as much like trying to date you as you're trying to date them. And, you know, it's just like really cordial, great meeting. Whereas like you meet with like in there, it's more, it's, it's like, it's a totally different script. Like they don't, it's almost like they don't want to, they don't want to hear from you. They don't really, they're like, they're purposely assholes actually, you know? (laughs) And if you meet these people, like I know people who know the sharks, they're all nice people, you know, it's not like, like no one's just like overtly an asshole like that, but they, uh, they are purposely like hyper aggressive and stuff in there. And that's, that's the character, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you if they were like, purposely overly aggressive with me but like i can tell you that the conversation felt weird like the responses didn't match my answers you know what i'm saying where it's like well that's an overly aggressive response to what i just said mm-hmm. no one would have normally acted that way you know yeah, yeah interesting but maybe <laughs> they need it for the entertainment conversation you know? <laughs> yeah yeah um, i've conversed so there's past. that you know and then there was one time where like i said something that was like a totally generic answer. And I saw like Cuban like throw his hands up in the air and like shake his head. Yeah. And I was like, that, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I told you the battery lasts nine years. Why did you act like that? You yeah. know? <laughs> but they probably need to splice that in. Yeah. Well, that's what it is, right? They have to always, you know, everyone's got their like set of uh, emotions they need mm-hmm. to display at some point in that hour. And this way they can cut it all up and put it all together and everything else. Yeah. But that's the most nerve wracking part about it is, you know, you sign a waiver that says we can make you look however we want and you have no recourse. And if you look like a fool, that's on you. Yeah. And uh, even if you looked awesome while you were out there, the edit could show you looking like an idiot. And so the most nerve wracking part about it is like, how am I going to be displayed? Yeah. You know, and that was something that we rolled the dice on with our investors because it could have been devastating for the company if we walked out there and got just destroyed and made look to be look to be very stupid. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case, but that right. was like the biggest thing on my mind because it was the it was the thing that was out of my control. You know, no matter how I pitched, despite the fact that we got a deal, no matter what all these different pieces, it's like at the end of the day, they can display us however they want based on I don't even know. Like, um, I just don't like that type of randomness. Um, but it worked out fortunately. So, yeah. and you'll even notice too with some of the pitches, like they'll put like goofy music behind it. Right. <laughs> to make it seem yeah, exactly. like, oh, this is not serious, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, with TV, there's always like, especially with reality TV, there's there's basically just two types of characters. And the more polarizing you are, the better. But it's either someone that everyone loves or someone that everyone hates. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So you have to fall like very in a very polar opposite to each other into one of those two camps. And it's kind of up to the editors to decide which camp they want you to fall into. Um, you know, especially even if you look at like real world or whatever, where they're all like living in a house, like, 
you know, they can just pick like the two minutes of the day where you were aggravated that you ran out of pickles and make right. you look like an asshole and idiot, <laughs> right? Or whatever it is. So, yeah. I tell you, I've always you know, wondered, I, and I've seen probably nearly every Shark Tank episode, probably all but like 20 of them maybe, or, or maybe 10 uh-huh. of them I've seen. It's impressive. And only, well, I love the show. <laughs> it's it's a lot very of in line with what I have to do for a living, right, is help people raise money. So I can see that. Uh, is, um, I've seen one person take notes, like one person pitching, one, 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 one founder oh, actually taking notes. Everyone else is up there. Mm. Like, like, how are you guys all, how are you up there for two hours without t- jotting anything down? <laughs> Well, um, I don't know. I guess I'd never really take notes in like an investor lunch or meeting anyway. Right. Mm. Like if anything, they're taking notes. Like I know, I know, I know the answers to everything off Mm. the top of my head. Right. I know the cost per customer acquisition. I know the blended CAC. I know paid CAC. I know LTV. I know churn. I know gross attrition. I know, I know gross margin. I know contribution margin. I know, I mean, it's just in my head. Like there's nothing for me to write down. And, you know, the only thing I would have to write down technically, I guess, is like the other side of the deal, right? That's Where what they're I'm like, thinking, right? like, but they, they all have out all these different terms, like all the sharks have, um, they have radios in, in their ears. Oh, okay. And, um, that's why out of nowhere, like Kevin O'Leary will be like, all right, so you have one offer on the yeah, table, hundred thousand yeah, dollars yeah. for 3% and that equals evaluation of X. And he can just like rip through all this Got math. <laughs> okay. He's not doing it in his head. Someone's giving him that. Yeah, um, uh-huh. you know, so, but I guess I don't really know what on the entrepreneur's side you would be taking note of, I guess, right? Like they're asking you the questions, you're giving the answers. I was uh, thinking to keep track of like if, if multiple offers are coming out there to keep track of. But if they're, but if it's but, really like a multi-hour long thing, I'm sure yeah. they have time to like actually have the discourse. It's not like sure. that 15 minutes where you're like, wait, who offered what? Wait, what was it? What <laughs> yeah. was it again? I'm sure you could sure. clarify. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Kevin always summarizes all the deals. Yeah. And so they know that, you know, what is weird though, I mean, with any negotiation though, right? You always have to walk in knowing this is my floor. This is my ceiling. Yeah. This is how I'm going to try to get to X and Y. And here's my strategy to get there. And uh, these are the type of tendencies I think those people have. And so I can play against those with these strategies and whatever, right? You have to, whenever you're doing a negotiation, you have these things mapped out anyway. So you kind of have to know what, where your walk point is, uh, you know, or whatever. So, and you also, you know, before you walk out there, you go, okay, here's the five sharks. Here's the five personalities that I have to deal with. Here's the five backgrounds of the people. So I'm prioritizing the people, the investors that I want from top to bottom like this, you know? So it's like Barbara, Lori, Kevin, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so, you know, you kind of, I guess it's a, the entrepreneur has normally got all that worked out in his head that if I get an offer from Kevin between X and Y valuation, I'm taking it. If I get one from Barbara between X and Y, I'm taking it. If I get one, you know, you have that in your head already. Um, so I don't know, but it is like, it is an active negotiation where, um, you know, you have to, you have to like very quickly make a decision and you have to, uh, you know, you're working with these. You're, you're negotiating these people like live. It's not really, I mean, I know some people will be like, oh, can I take a minute to phone a friend or something like that? Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I kind of, I had already in my mind what I was okay with from each person. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I think my, my next rap song I come out with will be called I Know featuring Joe Parisi. And the hook will be Joe saying, I know blended cack, gross cack, adjusted cack, net income, LTV. I know every. <laughs> if you can keep all of those straight in your rap, I'm so impressed. <laughs> and I'm actually right, a rapper yeah, for reference. So that could be a song that we actually make together. <laughs> 
So, all right, let's let's wrap this That's thing up. Let's funny. bring this home. So, our conversation today was around how do you block distractions. We'll go one by one. We'll start with Victoria. Joe, we'll close with you. Uh, Victoria, how do you block distractions? So, I think from from this discussion today, the two things that I'm going to sort of think about going forward of how to block distractions is one, like determining what distractions actually are, because I don't always think about like my emails as being a distraction. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm getting stuff done, but like maybe they are a distraction to what I actually need to do. So, I think one, identifying like what is a distraction, um, and then also just really setting goals. And I think having talked about the idea of uh, of just saying like tomorrow I want to accomplish x y and z I'm not going to pay attention to anything else until I drive those things home is is a really good way to just sort of get yourself in the mindset that like nothing's going to distract me until you know I get these things done yeah my answer for how do you block distractions I think I need to get better at doing more of what I have been doing but like Basically, I'm good with like setting up these systems when I know I need to have them in place. And then once I've, I'm sniffing success and I get a little bit comfortable, I let the systems fall out. And then I find myself being like, oh, crap, I need the systems again. So rather than like the roller coaster ride of in place, not in place, I just need to get better at even when I'm comfortable keeping those in place because that's the thing that got me there and is going to help continue to push me in, in a straight line or, or a steady line moving up instead of roller coasters. Joe, how do you block distractions? Um, so I think the most important part is just always the night before mapping out what has to be accomplished the next day and having two, two, three items at most that you write down as these three things have to be accomplished tomorrow and you don't do anything until those are done or until at least the first item is done. You don't do anything else other than contribute to that. And, uh, what's nice is that at the end of the day, you'll know you have moved the ball forward on something that mattered. You didn't get caught up in the minutia of just like the day and you have this sense of accomplishment, which is really important because there's nothing worse than working a full week and having no sense of accomplishment. So, uh, setting that goal the night before is hyper important. Um, and yeah, I guess that that's what it is. I mean, you know, when you go to when you look at habit formation, like you were talking about, is you have these systems, but you know, habit formation is a, is a whole other thing in itself. Just uh, setting these things up, where if you say I'm going to do this, you know, set up a system where you have like a calendar on the wall and you put an X through each day that you accomplish that. This way, you have a visual tied to your to your success on on your goal setting. You know, things like that uh, that will will increase the probability that you stick to it because you see your success and failure in front of you. So that's what I would recommend is just when you commit to something, then figure out very manageable steps uh, to get you there, right? Like if you run a marathon, you don't just run 28 miles tomorrow. You say, I'm going to run two today, two the next day, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so the same thing goes with like any other type of improvement or, or uh, whatever. So, you know, maybe you say next week, I'm going to do this twice where I'm just going to make sure the night before I write down my goals. And then based on how that goes, you start to improve and you make it like something that you always do without fail. And that's when your life will be, I guess, a little bit more efficient. Well, and if you decide to run a marathon and choose to run 1.8 miles more than the 26.2, <laughs> you got to ask yourself, or, yeah, that's like, <laughs> you, <laughs> why am I that you ambitious? Tell I'm not a runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 26. I don't. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, you really. Yeah, then you really are an overachiever, which I like too. <laughs> Joe Parisi, Guard Lava. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That wrapped up our conversation with Joe Parisi. 
Joe, thank you so much for joining us. I loved that topic. I loved the energy you brought to it, and we could have explored that a whole lot longer if we had the time and were maybe not using the Pomodoro technique. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. Here's a recent review from one of our listeners, Mystery Bear, healthy or working toward a goal or whatever. So I'm trying to preemptively figure out what could I change now rather than wait for that moment. Thank you, Mystery Bear, for the review. Ladies and gentlemen, please take 20 seconds and leave a review like that. Again, iTunes rating and reviews section doesn't take long. And while you're doing that, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen to, whether that is iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or the various other podcasting platforms in which you can find this show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as Joe and Guard Lama's contact information, you can grab it at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. All right, that'll do it for this one. Thank you again to Joe Parisi for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today.